Welcome to Family Business with Pradeep Sangha. I'm your host, and I'm also a family business owner and a family enterprise advisor. And this show is for anybody who is in a family business or a professional who works with family businesses and helps them succeed. So stay tuned and join us on this journey. So I'm super excited here today to have our guest, Michael Jutra, who's the CEO of Michael Jutra Estate Planning and Insurance. Hey, uh, Mike, I'm going to call you Mike here, but, uh, you know, it's Michael or Mike, but thanks for joining us today. That's all good. You can call me Mikey if you want to. <laughs> yeah, third, a third nickname, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you joining um, me today for this conversation because we're going to get into things such as estate planning, insurance, family business, being a business owner in general, what to look for, taxes. But maybe you can give our audience a little bit of background in terms of a, what you do right now and how you actually got here. Sure. So, you know, people hear you're an insurance advisor, a consultant, and that means, you know, there's the stereotypical kind of impression of what that might mean, right? I think what I do on a day-to-day basis would blow people's minds and it's, it's not what they would uh, necessarily, you know, anticipate. Um, but the firm is focused mainly on, you know, tax minimization, uh, family business transfer of ownership, uh, multi-generational planning, risk management, and about uh, a dozen other things. But we really try to um, provide advice and, and planning opportunities that use insurance products, of course, but the, the savings and the benefits uh, to, the, to the owners, to the families are, are, are incredible. Um, we work alongside their accounts and lawyers and everything like that, but we, we do quite a bit on the, on the, to the business owners. Oh, that's cool. So how long have you been doing this for? Uh, 13 years right now. Oh, wow. So yeah, first career ever, uh, started off as a, as a wealth advisor and, uh, always loved the insurance side of things, estate planning, tax planning. I guess I'm one of the people that actually literally loves to talk about insurance and, and taxes. So it was, it was a perfect fit. I typically see a, a relationship there, or or you can say, um, whether it's a collaboration or individuals uh, or an association where wealth advisors and insurance kind of go hand in hand. So either someone who is focusing on insurance typically had or came from the wealth world or uh, because I, I rarely come across individuals who just work in, have never done any of the wealth side. So it, they are out there, they're out, out there, but um what made you transition from wealth to insurance? I'm really grateful I had the the wealth and financial advising experience. So I built retirement plans and looked at everything from a very high level. So I'm I'm very grateful I had that experience because it helps me implement the insurance with the mindset of kind of an overall planner. Um, what made me kind of like the insurance side? Yeah, it's it's fun to work on a super complex case and and working with the lawyers and the accountants and implementing some pretty uh, effective and creative strategies using insurance, just it just resonated with me. I'm a, a helper by nature and I literally believe in what I do. So as a career to help people using this, it was a, it was a really good fit. Interesting. And so you're, where again are your offices? Because I know you're across the country in Canada. So what, what provinces do you specifically focus on? Uh, so head offices in Oakville. Uh, we're also located in Alberta and British Columbia. Um, within Ontario, I mean, all Ontario, but GTA. All, all you know, I'm on the road all the time. But uh, yeah, pretty much Ontario, Alberta, and uh, British Columbia. 
Is that basically because of specific licensing uh, differences between the provinces? Yep, exactly that. So I have clientele out, uh, out west as well. And uh, you just got to get licensed to top right there. You know, I always found that interesting. Why is it different for every province, the licensing? It's, uh, I- I'm not exactly sure. Uh, depending on your tenure and years of experience, sometimes it's a little easier to get licenses in additional provinces. Um, so it's really applications and, and some money. Mm, interesting. So I, okay, so let's, let's j- jump into this. So I appreciate your background here. So you have the wealth of, uh, and the experience um, to be able to talk about this. So why is, if we take a look at it, it's not just insurance. Why do people need to talk to an expert in the insurance world, let's say? It's a huge slice of the pie. And it's it's just as needed as a really good accountant, a really good lawyer, a really good business evaluator, really good business consultant. It's it's just, it's, it's part of the process. Um, it's funny because the amount of taxes I've saved my clients is in the millions, like literally it's such a significant benefit um, for the files I work on that if I renamed it a product and called it like a, a corporate tax efficient investment or an estate, uh, estate insurance, let's say, more people would tend to probably buy it or if the accountant sold it or the lawyer sold it. So it's, it's really, the education curve is high. You have to really inform the, the client and the prospect of what, what this does and how beneficial it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's absolutely crucial. You, I mean, how many insurances do we have? We have house and car and insurance for a cell phone. It's funny because life insurance sometimes is the last insurance people want to get. Um, but it's a misunderstanding because most people think you have to die for someone to benefit. There are massive living benefits with these policies. And if we called it living insurance instead of life insurance, you know, I'm sure that would maybe uh, change the the mindset of people looking at these products. Okay, well, maybe we could split that up into two because I think that's important. There's, okay, benefits, obviously, when you kick the bucket, we can talk about that as well. But what are some of the living benefits as you talked about? So there's a whole bunch of different types of insurance, right? Some people, I think, mentally group insurance into one thing. But if we were to break it out, there's term insurance, which is you have to kick the bucket. You die, family gets money, which is great. It's a perfect fit for a perfect need. For those who want more of a living benefit, uh, we're looking at tax-exempt whole life insurance policies mainly. And how these work is you pay money every single month or every single year. You give the money to the insurance company. They, in return, take that money and, and make their own investments. Now, some of these insurance carriers have $30, 40000000000 $50 billion in assets within these funds, and they're investing in things we can never get access to as individuals. So what they say is, okay, you've given me X. We're going to guarantee that if you were to kick the bucket, we're going to pay you out X amount. But while you're alive we'll call it almost like an open door policy where you can still access the money you've been giving us. Mm-hmm. And we're keeping it in this fund and it's growing. You're not paying tax on the growth year after year. It's guaranteed to go up every year. It's also guaranteed not to go down every year. So it's in the contract you sign with the insurance company. On, on a bare minimum, your investment's going to literally increase every single year and never drop. So you're never going to hear from me and say you're down 30%. It's literally always going to be like a set of stairs. Um, and it's very liquid. So you can you should be using the money you're putting into these policies during your lifetime, whether it's for business expenses, um, expansions, investments, whatever, or for the personal side as well. So where do you see people using that um, from, a, from a business owner perspective? Um, is, is there a specific trigger moment or point or, you know, is it during when someone gets married, when they have kids, when they're buying a business, selling a business? 
usually when they're at a point where they have, they're starting to accumulate retained earnings. And in their corporation, maybe they have some real estate, maybe they just have some cash sitting, they might have some stocks and, and all of which are great assets. I'm a big fan of, of that. I, I have that myself. But there's going to be a point where you need to add another asset to that portfolio, and that's going to be the tax-exempt whole life insurance policy. So it's going to be very complementary to what you already have. It's going to solve a lot of problems, and it's going to be um, there when you need it and, and should use it. Interesting. So let's talk about, uh, or so is that the only living benefit? Like what other benefits? Why would a business owner even consider this? Uh, whether it's uh, not that specific policy, but what other benefits? Because uh, I, I we work with business owners all the time. And a lot of the times, yeah, people want to do things for their family. But a lot of times, if you if you have a lot of money, sometimes people say, you know, they're going to get a ton of money anyways. Why do I even want to bother with insurance? Yeah, I hear that all the time. Um, so some of the benefits would be if you're a business, like I think the business owner example, you're a business owner and something comes up emergency-wise or an investment opportunity. If you don't have the cash on hand or you need to get financing, you're going to have to go through credit applications and two-year NOAs and two-year financial statements, and maybe you're not approved. Maybe you're already maxed out on your borrowing capability. So this is going to be uh, a nest egg you can accumulate and borrow from uh, on a tax-free basis. It's guaranteed within the insurance contract um, as long as what you're borrowing isn't above the uh, ACB, it can be done on a tax-free basis. So it, it pretty much guarantees you access to very tax-efficient capital, let's say, from a business perspective, but also from a personal perspective. So if you're a business owner, you know, you're know you accumulating money, it's a good thing because you're, the corporations are taxed at either 12.2% or 26.5% in Ontario. The downside of accumulating cash in the corp is that one day you're going to have to take it out. And when you go to take it out, you're paying salary or dividends, which is typically the two most common ways people take money out of the corpse, but now they're going to put themselves in a 53.53% tax bracket, potentially, right? Above 220. So another planning opportunity is to accumulate the cash value in your corporation with corporate dollars. And when you're at the point of retirement or needing tax-efficient personal income, you take the cash value and you use it as collateral and you obtain a personal line of credit equal to the cash value. So if you accumulated a million bucks or $5 million in cash value and the investment part of a whole life policy, you get a personal line of credit equal to that. And now you can, you, it's a live off the line of credit, paying the interest or maybe capitalizing it um, as well. So it's a way to kind of access corporate dollars for personal use without, um, you know, paying massive tax bills, much more to consider those guarantee fees and, and uh, interest rates and some other rate required. But from a very high level, it's an additional way to very tax efficiently get money um, out of the corp for personal use. Got it. So when it comes to the insurance rule, then specifically for business owners, do you see, um, I'm assuming that you see a big difference between someone who doesn't own a business versus someone who does? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, to be honest, most of my clients do have some sort of a corporation or business. So maybe I'm a little biased and more used to working with with that uh, segment. Um, and there's also like slightly more benefits to the corporate, to, if you have a corporation to buy these policies, like there's additional benefits, not to say it's not worth it for an individual just to buy a policy themselves, um, but there's just more things, more planning opportunities that can be created when you have a corporately owned uh, like insurance policy. Yeah, got it. And so do most advisors on the insurance side, do they, from your experience, do they all know, like majority of them, vast majority of them know how to do these complex insurance structures? No, 
Like honestly, not at all. And then that, uh, that's just the, the reality of it. It's um, there. It's hard to learn. Like it's very complicated stuff. And yes, there are some that can, but it's it's probably like many industries where there's like kind of the top few percent that are like true experts in it, um, and you know who are doing it day in and day out essentially. And so, how do you work with the accountants? Because this is kind of maybe not necessarily an overlap, but what I find is that. I actually am seeing that a lot more now where accountants are actually starting to get licensed for insurance uh, because they see a lot of revenue opportunity there. There's accountants that that want to get the wealth side as well, but I think that's a little bit uh, more challenging, I think, from a regulatory perspective. Um, but I'm seeing that trend now because I think a lot of people are seeing the revenue, the additional revenue that they can make uh, from the insurance so how do you work with accountants? So, so I, I guess my question is this, who is the actual tax expert when it comes to these insurance policies? Is it a combination of the accountant and you, or do you feel like you have more, you can say tax insight when it comes specifically to insurance policies than accountants do? It's a healthy combination. The accountant okay. is necessary. Um, they know things that you don't know. So you, you really have to work with them to make sure the, the ownership is correct. You know, the future plan's correct. Like they're, they're crucial. You, you like yep. have to have to meet them and the lawyer as well. But uh, I wouldn't say either one's more important or more knowledgeable necessarily in the tax side. We just look at it from two different lenses, but from the client's perspective, like you need both of those working for you. Yeah. Interesting. So how often do you find yourself actually working with the accountant versus not working with the accountant? Uh, I try to make it almost mandatory for some of the clients to, to have a meeting with or, or speak with. It's just so much easier. Like Things are going to come up. You have to be on the same page. And from your client's perspective, like you want all your advisors, friends, right? How many times, like if whoever's listening or watching, like think about you have your lawyer, your accountant, and your insurance person and financial advisor, right? Have they ever been in the same room together? Probably not, but they're so important, but they're like siloed, right? So it's crazy. They're, they're not talking. Sometimes they're even competing, right? Mm-hmm. So which makes it even worse. So you got to get your whole team, like they're your team, right? They got to be on the same page. Yeah, that's interesting because we have clients and this is one of the things that we do. We tend to be the quarterback in a lot of these types of conversations, especially through the transition process of a business, whether they're getting ready to sell or pass it down to the next generation. Um, Or even if they're trying to scale their business, we always advocate and get the people in the room, the lawyer, the accountant, insurance professional. Sometimes there's a banker involved. We get the right people in the room. Uh, because it is so important. Sometimes people think, yeah, you know what? We can we can have these conversations outside, uh, which can happen. And I think it works functionally, but it doesn't work as strategic if if you don't have everybody in the room together, because then you can actually have proper discussions um, and you can have proper, you can say, challenge each other a little bit. I just had this with a, with a client recently where uh, he came to us and we just started working um, with him. And his challenge was every time he would go in, he would have his financial advisor and his insurance and sometimes even the lawyer there talking about he's ready to exit his business, but he wouldn't get the right answers. And it, sometimes I think in that situation, if there's not, I'm, I'm going to say one quarterback, it's tough. So in you know, in the, in, I'm assuming in your situation, you may be the quarterback bringing these people to, together. But I found that this business owner just always got confused because he didn't know what questions to ask the group. And so the professional professionals were just spinning circles in their own little, you can say, corners. 
talking about their expertise, but no one was really talking strategically in terms of, okay, what's a bigger picture and how do we all work together? Right. Yeah. Broken telephones are really poor strategy to, uh, for, you know, the client to regurgitate what you've said to the account and then try and, you know, talk to the lawyer. It, it just doesn't work. I would encourage everyone just to try it once, get everyone on a zoom or in, in the same room at the same time. And you'll see kind of the magic uh, happen and you'll never, you'll never not do it that way again. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So let's talk about on the transition side. So someone is looking to transition because we do a lot of family business work. Someone is trying to transition their business to the next generation. Where does insurance fit in there? So the, the, probably the most common scenario is, you know, mom and dad started a business 20 years ago, 30 years ago with, you know, zero in the business worth essentially nil at the time. Now the company's worth 5 million, 10 million, whatever, hundred million dollars. And they're looking to transition to the kids. The kids are going to, you know, already in the business, perhaps they're looking to take over, et cetera. So from a transition uh, perspective, one of the things to consider are the value of your shares when you started the business was zero. Now the company's worth 10 million bucks. So there's going to be a pretty big capital gain uh, owed, right? Capital gain taxes owed. And most people don't even realize that in the first place. So what uh, most accountants and lawyers would suggest is an estate freeze, which essentially freezes the value of the parent's shares. The kids get um, new shares issued in their name. And then the future growth is all in the, in the child's name, mm-hmm. adult, adult children's name. The two positives to implementing an estate freeze, especially if you're passing down uh, a business to your children, is number one, you've you've kind of frozen the value of your share. So there's not going to be, the tax was kind of stopped. It still exists, but it's it's stopped. The second thing is you can literally calculate to the dollar how much of a tax bill you're going to owe and then buy the insurance equal, like dollar for dollar, to cover that uh, tax liability that's eventually going to occur when you pass away. So if you do the math and you're going to owe $2.5 million um, in taxes owed after the estate freeze, then you can go buy a $2.5 million policy and you can at least be rest assured that that part of the problem will be solved when you pass away and the kids can take over the business with no um, no liquidity shortages in the estate. And do, do, do you feel like parents actually really care that much? Uh, it's whether they care or not, the tax will still be there. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter if they care or not. Uh, they got to do something about it. And whatever that tax bill is, I'll use the 2.5 million example. How are you going to pay for that? And and that's where I come in because it, it's it's funny. It's one thing to calculate the tax, but then it's a second conversation. How are you going to come up with the money for two point five million? Mm-hmm. And if a family had that in cash, yes, they could take the two point five in cash and tell their executor take this to pay off the tax bill and problem solved. And it's true, you you just solved that problem. But I always argue in a scenario like this, this tax bill is only owed when you pass away. So in other words, you only have to come up with 2.5 million the moment you pass away, not not years before. So if you did a bought a 2.5 million dollar policy, it's going to cost you significantly less than 2.5 million dollars. It's going to cost you, let's say it's 30. Say you put in a half a million or 700 grand into a policy, it's going to pay out 2.5 million. Well, you've just saved two or you know over two million dollars that you if you had that in cash, go spend it during your lifetime, right? Go go improve the utility of your life. You don't don't keep that aside for. Um, for no reason. So it's, 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 there's a lot of savings and, and uh, really good planning. So I'm going to ask a question on behalf of the skeptics here, because uh, as a skeptic, someone would say, well, how does that make sense? Why would an insurance company even offer that knowing that they're going to have to pay a bill at the end of the day and the insurer, or whoever's paying for the premiums is going to be paying less than 
what the payout is. What's the benefit? How, like, how does that work for an insurance company? Why would they even consider doing that? The, the history of life insurance literally goes back to the Romans. That's when it was, it was first tracked. And the, uh, the soldiers were, would each put in like a, a rubble or a ruble or something into a pot of money. So as a soldier was killed, they would take the money and help pay, uh, for the burial expenses. They were still expensive, like 600,000 years ago to, to, to bury someone. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. When it can be traced back to is the kind of the Roman era. So it, it hasn't changed since then where I get like conceptually, it's like I put in, you know, a third of the cost and they're going to pay me three or four or five times or 10 times the amount. But you, you look at the infrastructure they have, the actuaries, they're on top of their stuff. They know that life expectancy, you're only 45. You're not going to kick the bucket to 85, let's say. So we have 40 years to ideally grow that money. And these insurance companies have been around for like 175 years, never missed a dividend, you know, always stable growth. It's just, it's, uh, it's been working pretty good so far. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so do you ever find that the, the children pay for the policy? Sometimes. So if the children, exactly, if the children are, they're adult children, they're in the business, they're active, they know why the insurance is, you know, they're getting it. Then yes, they could pay for it or the company pays for it. But in, you know, essentially it's, part of what the children would have gotten retained earnings or what the parents would get in retained earnings. The company's typically paying for it. Yeah, interesting. And so what are some of the problems or, you, or let's just say mistakes that people make when it comes to insurance? Are there some things that you see whether, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but let's just say there's a novice insurance person um, and they don't fully understand all the, you can say, ways that they can maneuver different insurance uh, instruments. But do you see some common mistakes, whether it's on the insurance advisor side or on the business owner side? For sure. Uh, probably the biggest mistake is the ownership of the policy is incorrect. It's either in the opco, but they're going to sell the company in two or three years. So now you have a problem of having to take a policy out of the opco when it should have been in the holdco, or there's no trust uh, involved. Um, the, the structure of how many years the client would have to pay for the insurance isn't done very well. So their payment plan might exceed their timeline to sell or pass down the business. So now it's like kind of finding the parents are out of the business, but they're still have insurance premiums to be made. So that's uh, typically can be an issue as well. Um, And then last I would say is honestly, it's waiting too long and you have health issues and you can't get in the first place. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, great. So what, what tips do you have for business owners out there, family family business owners when it comes to insurance? Try and find someone who's good at insurance and just hear them out. Like you'll be able to tell. It's a gut feeling, right? Is this person doing it for my best interest? And cross-reference with, you know, their referrals and your lawyer, get your lawyer and accountant to meet with them. And just, you got to give it a shot. It doesn't cost anything to get like an analysis or a consultation, um, but reach out to someone who has a couple letters next to their name, let's say some years behind them. Um, and like, just look through your options if you haven't. It's just a, yeah. So I, so just one, one more thing to ask. Sorry. I've, I've, yeah. I've like literally never had someone go through the full experience and be like, oh, that, that wasn't worth it. Or I definitely didn't learn anything. Every single person's like, did not know almost all this. Mm, that's interesting. So throughout that journey, how long do you typically stay with your, your clients? Through as we're implementing the, uh, 
the policy or going the policy or even staying in touch or, you know, is this kind of like a lifelong relationship that you have with your clients or it's, it's the longest product you can buy, right? Yeah. It's, it literally doesn't end. So, um, in my career, I've, I've had four clients uh, pass away mm-hmm. and uh, that means four times I've got the phone call four times I've gone to the home to sit at the kitchen table with the family and surviving spouse and children, et cetera, delivered the life insurance check and really worked through the finances, uh, amongst the, you know, with the accountant and the lawyer, it's, it's a forever product, right? We're not selling another, you know, blue jacket and you're never going to see me again. This is, uh, this is about as long as it, as it gets. So I always say like, yes, education crucial, obviously experience, of course. But the third thing people need to consider is, is this the person they are comfortable with sitting at the kitchen table? If they were to prematurely pass away with their family? Is this someone they, they trust and, and, um, and then, and then, you know, it's almost beyond after you pass because I still have the family to work with and the kids to work with. So yep. I have many families where I have the grandparents as clients, the adult children as clients and the grandchildren as clients. So it's a very long-term product. Yeah, I can see that. Um, that's really interesting. So I'm always curious, uh, how do you typically get involved with your clients or how do they come to you or how, who refers them to you because because that says a lot because i think this is important for people to hear um in in terms of where or when most people come to you i'm very proactive in my marketing i always have been um i door knocked every city like in my early careers right door knocked whole call did the boost did everything like that um now i host a lot of seminars at restaurants things like that i'm very active on linkedin youtube channel podcasts speaking with people like yourself lawyers accountants networking events um, kind of all of that. Um, it's a, it's consistency and getting kind of the message out there, the education out there, your brand out there and, uh, things, you know, fall into place quite nicely when you, when you do that. Interesting. And so f- for me, insurance is very important. That's one of the first things I didn't have an insurance. Well, I had it through work when I was in the corporate world at that time. But as soon as I found out that my, my wife was pregnant, and so I didn't have my, my corporations at that time, but as soon as I found out she was pregnant, I'm like, okay, now, now I got to get insurance. Cause that, that was a trigger point for me. But I remember being, so I, I grew up in the financial the institution space. Um, I remember one of my first roles as an advisor, I actually started in wealth, but didn't really like it because people would always get pissed off if, you know, the market went down or something went side wasn't perfect. So I kind of flipped over to the other side, which was more of the lending side, because now people are actually coming to you and saying, please give me money, you know, versus why, you know, why did you screw them? I'm giving you money. You better treat me well. So it was a completely different uh, atmosphere environment. But part of that, there was an insurance element too, uh, especially on the lending side, which was very important because if people are taking out big loans and something happens, you want to make sure that you're covered. And so I saw this firsthand and I just remember this, uh, this one, uh, you can say situation or, or incident that happened. It wasn't my uh, client at that time, but it was my colleagues, but I had met this client a number of times and it was a husband and wife that had just gotten a mortgage. And as they, they declined the insurance and as they were driving home, they got into a car accident and the husband died. And, you know, we're just talking about within a couple hours of them signing, um, this big mortgage and 
all of a sudden now it's like, okay, what does she do? Right. Because she didn't have the policy and how could her life have been different? Had they actually taken the policy on that? So I'm always a huge, and I've, I haven't had to deliver many myself. Um, but I've had some great conversation where spouses have, um, gotten insurance and it's helped them out significantly, whether it was on the life side or even critical illness, right? That's another element or disability. So I've seen both sides and um, I'm a huge supporter and fan of insurance because you just don't know what's going to happen in life. And in this case, in terms of what you do, um, there's a lot of benefits. No one wants to pay tax, right? And anytime we don't have to pay money where we don't need to, that's a whole point of being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Uh, insurance is whatever type of insurance it is. It's something that I understand people aren't excited to pay premiums for any type of insurance, but when the need is there, when something happens, everyone wants the insurance. Everyone wants to make sure they have the most insurance, it's all covered. Um, so it's kind of like a, a back and forth of, you know, wanting to actually pay for something. But of course, when something happens, whether it's a car accident, your basement floods, whatever, people want the insurance at that point. Yeah. So I, I want to thank you for joining us here, uh, Mike, uh, and tons of wisdom. We're going to have you on again, because I want to get into a little bit more of the complex stuff uh, and for business owners, especially when it comes to transitioning and and not necessarily, we, we're not all about, hey, we want to give you all the information here um, through this platform because you definitely need to sit in front of a professional and talk out your specific scenario. But I would like to get into things a little bit deeper because I don't believe, and I, I, I know this from my experience, right? In our industry as business advisors, um, or you can even say consulting world, not everybody is equal in terms of their knowledge, skills, and experience. And so we've had to pick up pieces where some of our colleagues, and no offense to anybody, have just fallen short in certain things. And so I'm going to say, you know, very nicely that I don't believe that all insurance professionals are equal in their wisdom either. So I think it's important for people to go out there and find the best of the best, because when it comes to this particular area, like insurance, um, you don't want things to fall through the cracks. So where can people go to get a hold of you, to get more insight from you um, and maybe contact you directly. Uh, if you check me out on LinkedIn, just search Michael Dutra. Uh, my website is michaeldutra.ca. I also have a YouTube channel and a podcast. Uh, my It's Mike Check 1212, M-I-K-E. I had to go with the name, too good to give up. Uh, so check me out, Mike Check 1212 on YouTube or uh, you know Spotify, Apple, things like that. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for having us. We're definitely going to have you on again. So thank take you. care. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Family Business with Pradeep Sangha. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and share this episode with your network. 